You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. These things I command you, that you love one another. Herein is the fruit. The whole chapter speaks of fruit, and it's twofold. Loving others and seeing people come to Jesus Christ. The theory is, is loving others will cause people to come to Jesus Christ. Loving others will cause people to come to Jesus Christ. If we bear fruit, if we love people, people will come to Christ. One fruit of the Spirit, as explained by Pastor Dave in today's message, is to love people and see them come to Christ. Why is this a fruit of the Spirit? Because it can be hard to love sinful people, and especially to have such love lead them to Christ. You can't love like this on your own. Call out to the Holy Spirit for help. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 15, as he continues his message, A Disciple's Privileged. He says, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. The word appointed here is translated from the Greek word theomy, which is the word for ordained in the King James Version. The word ordained carries the connotation of someone who was given a holy order. Someone who is, has a calling from God and that calling is now recognized. He had, that person becomes ordained to do the work that God has called him to do, to follow the path that God has chosen for him to follow. Ordination means more to us now than it did back then, except that Jesus is saying, hey, I've appointed you, I've ordained you, I've called you, I've chosen you to come and do this. I've chosen you for one reason, one reason, to bear fruit. And that's what it says right there. I've appointed you and chose you to bear fruit. This was the purpose of Jesus' calling them. He had a plan. He knew the big picture. He knew what was going to happen. So he was calling them. What a special privilege. What a special privilege that these men had that were called by Jesus for a specific purpose. You've been called by Christ. You've all been called by Christ to be his disciples. And you've all been called with a specific purpose that he had in mind. And the purpose hasn't changed. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. Fruit that remains. And what Jesus does is, he goes a little bit further now in 16c, He returns to a privilege that has already been spoken of, and he repeats his statements regarding prayer. And when I thought about this, this might be one of, if not the greatest privileges that we have. It's called prayer. Look what he says as we finish 16. He says, let me read the whole verse. 
I, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Here's something different about that phrase that we've heard before. And it's very interesting because I love to read various commentators after I sat before these scriptures for a while. And one commentator said this, and it brought to mind something that we're going to go to in a minute. He said this, quote, This chapter, speaking of chapter 15, began in a vineyard, and it ended in the throne room. Because now Jesus is talking about prayer. Jesus is talking about prayer, the privilege we have of prayer. The writer of Hebrews, whom I believe is the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this concept, speaking about our compassionate high priest, speaking about Jesus Christ in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read 14 through 16. Paul, or the writer, says this, seeing that we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, and he says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, our belief in him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we were yet without sin. Let us therefore, because we have a high priest, because he can sympathize with us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that describes an incredible privilege. We have been invited into the throne room of God. Think about this. Now, come on, this is no small thing. Think about this. The creator of the universe, God Almighty, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, has invited us into his throne room that we might petition him in our time of need for help. Let that mess around in your brain. Why? Because we have a high priest who is also omnipotent, but he's also compassionate. So we can come boldly to the throne. And this is the discouraging us from the strategy of Satan. Satan says, you got to go through somebody else. Satan says, you got to go through somebody like maybe Mary, or you got to go through somebody else or somebody here. The writer here is saying, no, you can come boldly into the throne of grace yourself. Sometimes the devil wants us to think of Jesus as being powerless to help us, but that's not so. Satan wants us to think that he doesn't sit on the throne of God. He does sit on the throne of God. He sits on the right hand of God the Father. That's what it says in Scripture. And as we come before the throne, we don't come proudly. We don't come with an arrogance like, I deserve to be here. We come crawling on our hands and knees, heads bowed down. We don't come. But he says, don't come with presumption, but come constantly. Come without reservation. Come freely. And you don't have to use fancy words. Lord, help me. But come. But come with confidence. And come with persistence. Come in. When we come to the throne of God, it's called a throne of grace. When we come, that we may obtain mercy. This is not getting what we deserve, that we can find grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. In our time of need, we come, we find grace in a time of need. Thankfully, God provides help. No request is too small. 
because he wants us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with thanksgiving, let our request be made known to God. That's what he wants from us. Are you getting the feeling of being privileged here? Are you getting the feeling that as a disciple of Christ, we are so privileged? Now I have to ask a question that might disturb some of you. How many of you are taking advantage of this privilege? How many of you are really taking advantage of this privilege? So Christ comes back to the subject of prayer. Prayer in the Father's name. Now this is how prayer should be addressed. We should pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. He taught us that in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. He taught us how to pray. And he said a while back, I think it was in chapter 13, if you ask the Father anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. But here he says, I've ordained you that if you ask anything in the Father's name or in my name to the Father, he may give it to you. There's a difference in what I said. Anybody catch it? The first one says, ask and it shall be given unto you. This one says, ask any." may give it to you. There's a difference. There's a difference. And this is the big difference in this verse. Why? The Father is desiring to give you these things. The Father is desiring to give you these things, and prayer opens that door. The Father, what, what, we don't know what the Father wants to do, but he's wanting to give you the desires of your heart as you him. But too many people think that prayer is an information time where I'm going to inform God about all my difficulties, because God doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't understand what I'm going through, so i got to inform him of all these things. Well, you know, Lord, I'm going for a test, and um, they, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, and the doctor said this, and I don't know what's going to happen. That, and, you know, I met this lady, you know the girl, that she had a blue dress on, and um, I don't... We give God all this information when we're praying to him as if he's clueless. If he's, he doesn't know what's going on, the reason we give him that information is because we've already decided how things should go. We've already decided how God should answer the prayer. So I'm giving him the information that he needs to make the decision according to my will. He needs all of the information that I'm about to give him so he can do the decisions that I want. And then when he doesn't do what I want, I go, he doesn't listen to my prayers. He didn't answer my prayer because I always have it figured out. I know exactly what he's supposed to do. It amazes me that he doesn't do it the way I think it should be done. And then one day I look around and it's already accomplished. I went, how did that happen? Well, he did it. He did it without me. He did it because he loves me. He didn't follow my directions, but he's not going to follow your directions. He's going to do things his way. His way. I find out that it's done. I think, hey, okay. He really did answer my prayers, but he didn't follow my directions. He didn't follow my directions, He's much wiser than we are. He's so much better than we are. Remember how Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will. Not my will. I'm opening the door so that God may do the things for me that he's desiring to do. Lord, I believe there's an open door there, and we want to walk through that open door. I believe that you open that door. If it's your will, lead me through that door. But Lord, you open a door that no man can shut, and you shut a door that no man can open. If it's not your will, shut that door. I don't want to be against your will. I don't want to go out of your will. The one thing I don't want to do is break that door down to go through. But that's what we think he should do. I want this, and I'm praying for it in Jesus' name, so I should have it. That's not necessarily what God wants. 
Prayer is consenting to God and his will for him to do the things that he wants to do. And as a disciple of Christ, we have these great privileges. Peter calls them great and precious promises. I love that. We have these great privileges. Why? Because we've been chosen. We have this appointment. We have this ordination from God. We can come to the throne room of grace, and we too can bear fruit. What this great privilege? Do you realize the privilege that we've been given? But what is the fruit that he's looking for? What is all this stuff in chapter 15 about fruit? What is all these things that Jesus is talking about? What is the fruit? Well, he ends this section by once again reminding us about the fruit that he wants to see. Very simple. 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. Herein is the fruit. The whole chapter speaks of fruit, and it's twofold. Loving others and seeing people come to Jesus Christ. The theory is, is loving others will cause people to come to Jesus Christ. Loving others will cause people to come to Jesus Christ. If we bear fruit, if we love people, people will come to Christ. Love is fulfilling the commands of Jesus. Fulfilling the commands of Jesus is at least part of what it means to bear fruit. Therefore, bearing fruit means to love one another. If you're his disciple, how does he know you're his disciples? How does anyone else know that you are his disciples? By loving one another. By this they will know you're my disciples. By the love you have for one another. It means letting the love that which we constantly receive from Christ as we abide in him, flow through us. It's not growing fat as a tick on his love. It's receiving his love and then sharing his love. Well, we need to share his love. I receive his love on a daily basis, and I'm very thankful for it. Thank you, Lord, for your love. But I want to share that love. I want to give it out. I want to dispense that love as it flows through me by his spirit. Oh, yeah, I can hold on to it. But what good does it do? I need to share it. Why? So that people can see Christ in me and be drawn to Jesus Christ. People need to see the Christ in you. People see, need to see Christ with flesh upon them. Loving people, winning souls. They're merged into one. If the fruit is outpouring of the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, it becomes nourishment and refreshment for others. People are refreshed that you love them, that you accept them, that you esteem them. They're refreshed, and they're nourished, and they're drawn to Jesus Christ. It's no longer about me. That goes directly against my flesh, because my flesh always wants it to be about me. But it's no longer about me. It's about Christ being shown through me. In John 13, he said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. The most winning and powerful witness we can give is the reality of love. This whole thing about abiding in the vine and receiving from him is about bearing fruit, the fruit of love. As we get the sap of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit continues to flow through our veins... We feel that love of Jesus Christ, and usually we want to give it out. We want to love somebody. We want to see somebody come to Christ. We want that in our lives. So we see this happening, winning people to Christ. He says, these things I command you. Gee, it's a command to love one another. 
It's a command, and when we read about keeping his commandments, it gives us confidence in prayer. We know that we receive whatsoever we ask for him if we keep his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And when you keep my commandments, I'm going to ask the Father, and whatever you want and ask me in my name, the Father will do, as you are abiding and loving him. Because what are you going to ask for? I can tell you what you're going to ask for. When you're abiding and loving him, you're going to ask, Lord, help me love that person. I want to love them so that they will know you. I want them to come into your kingdom. I want them to be one of your children. I want to love them so they would know you. Now, you don't think that's a prayer the Lord is not going to answer? When you pray that prayer, he's going to send you one of the most unloving people you've ever met in your entire life. And they're going to walk up and go, love me. (laughs) Okay. But through the Holy Spirit, you will have the power to do that. You will have the power to do that. He's going to erase bitter feelings. He's going to erase animosities. He's going to erase hard feelings that you might have towards one another as we obey. And we need to pray that today we can obey this commandment of Jesus Christ and truly love each other the way he's loved us. God, help us to do that. God, help us so that we can bring forth the fruit of God's Spirit, just spring forth from our lives. Just let it flow from our lives, as, as, just like breath when we breathe. That's how God's love should be flowing. It shouldn't be something that we go, oh, i got to love this person. I'm going to build up this love for them. Here we go. I'm going to love them. No, it should just come forth. It just should spill out of your lives as you go forth, as you abide in Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is a humbling experience when you realize that you didn't choose him. He chose you. This will always be in the forefront of our minds. If not, we become proud and presumptuous. This means that we'll be ever listening to that still, small voice. We will ever listening to what he wants to do in our lives. We will be ever praying to him, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Show me, guide me, lead me. I only want to follow you. I only want your will in my life. I know you want me to love that person. I'm having a hard time. Help me to love that person. Help me to show them you. Help me to show them and guide them into your arms because that's where they need to be. We must be attentive and we must be alert. We've been chosen to accomplish his will. We've been chosen to accomplish his bidding, and that is to bear fruit. When we obey him, if we love him, we will obey him and keep his commandments to love one another. When we do this, there will be fruit and fruit that remains. And this should be our joy. And Jesus said that his joy would be in us and our joy would be complete. This is our joy. Not walking around like a lemon-sucking Christian, but walking around with a smile on your face so that people would be enamored and loved with Jesus Christ. So he's getting them ready. He's getting the disciples ready. Why? Because there is a battle that lay ahead. There is a battle that lay ahead. And as we go into 18 through the rest of this time, he's going to start to talk about this battle that is coming forward, a battle in which we now live. A battle. A battle is formed by the hatred from the lost and dying world. A battle that is coming at us in great guns, even more so now, as we move further and further into this age. 
The great Warren Wiersbe once said, the Christian life is not a playground, it is a battlefield. It is a battlefield. And Jesus is going to tell them about the battle that is going to come in the next verses that we're going to study next. If you are not abiding as branches and obeying him as his friend, we will never be able to face the opposition that the world is throwing at us today. If you try to face the opposition that the world is throwing at us today in your own strength, you will fail miserably. You will fail miserably and you'll get bruised and beat up. If we do not love one another, how can we begin to hope to love those that are lost? We can't love each other in the house of God. How can we possibly go out there and love those? How can we do that? We can't. We can't. If we are not marching together as friends of the Most High King, if we're not marching on our knees in prayer, if we are not submitting to Him, we will never present a unified front to the enemy. And this is one of the problems I see today. The church is, is fractured. The church of Jesus Christ is fractured. you got all these different things all over the place. It's fractured. And Satan is using it abundantly. He's using it constantly to tear us down and to get the world ready to continue to persecute us and to continue to ramp up the persecution. Praise the Lord that they did hold back the release of that movie. Praise God is right. They were going to release a movie about the killing of Trump supporters, the killing of conservatives, where they hunt them down. But they held back the movie for now. Jesus stated in bold letters, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. He has given to each of us his Holy Spirit. As a disciple, you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have that power come upon you to do the work he's called you to do. You need to have that power come upon you. The Holy Spirit is Christ in a different form. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is the Godhead who is the agent at work today in the world. We're going to get to that in chapter 16. Without him, we are not just as hampered or handicapped. Apart from him, we are desperately and hopelessly paralyzed. We cannot function. We can do nothing. He didn't mix words there. He didn't say, without me, you can only do a few things. Without me, there's only several things you can do. No, no, no. He said, without me, you can do nothing. But if we abide in him and abide in his love, if we stay close to him, if we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and overflow in our hearts and allow that torrents of living water to flow from our hearts and touch those we come in contact with, with the love of Jesus Christ, we can do anything that he commands us to do. This is a huge responsibility, but it is a great privilege. It is a great privilege. Amen? You are assured. The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.